Um, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those persons where um, my mood is greatly affected by if it's sunny or not. Anybody else like that? Is it okay? Good. I, I, like I didn't think that was too weird, but um, so all that to say, when I got up this morning and saw how like dark it was and and just like how it looked rainy, I I, I don't know about you, but I I just felt like really low, and and it was a struggle from from like the drive from my home because I I look forward to looking at the sun hitting the mountains um, almost every day when I pass there, and so I I, I had this feeling that I was just so down, you know, and, and then I came here, and, and Scott and Albert and I, we started praying, and, and even though my natural tendency sometimes is to feel down whenever it's, like, not sunny and not beautiful, it's amazing how the Spirit of God transcends that, transcends that natural feeling, and brings light, inward light, right, so that, so that you don't have to be ruled by your natural emotions and your natural inclinations, but you can be ruled by something greater, and that's the light and the power of God. And, and that's, I think, what, what that, that song that we just sang, sang in Christ alone, um, he, is, he is my light, he is, He's the source of that strength, and that just brought that home to me, and, and that's how we are. Some of us, we tend to be a little bit... Um, you know, more pensive or, or maybe a little bit more sad as our disposition than others. Um, and then some of us are always bouncing off the walls, right? Um, but the reality is it's in Christ uh, all of us can feel the light of the glorious gospel. So I praise the Lord for that. All right. Um, we're, we're continuing our summer in the psalm series. It's going to end at the end of this month, and we're going to end with this wonderful psalm, Psalm 139. We did the first six verses that talked about God's omniscience, the fact that God is all-knowing. And now um, we see David sort of transitioning from this idea that God is omniscient to the idea that, uh, of God's omniscience, sorry, to the fact that God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. And so what I want to do is I want to look at verses 7 through 12 today, and I want us to see how David talks about the omnipresence of God and, and how David defines that. And then I want to look at how he applies that to, to our lives. So look now with me, Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. Hear now the words of God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is, at light, is as light with you. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. 
And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, indeed, um, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your presence here. And we thank you that your presence transcends our natural inclinations. I thank you that no matter where we are, we can feel the light of your glorious countenance. Help us, Lord, to understand that today. Help us to see the beauty in the fact that you are always present and how this wonderful reality applies to us today. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. It would almost seem like David is writing a bunch of different psalms or a bunch of different types of psalms And then, you know, they all can't stand alone, so he just smushed them all together. But that's not what's happening here at all. There is a coherency behind every single section within this psalm. David starts off by talking about the omniscience with God. We we looked at that last week. And now he's, he's making a leap, a logical leap, if you will, by saying, look, if God is omniscient, if he knows all things then it stands to reason that this same God is actually ever-present. He's the ever-present God. And so David expounds upon the nature of this ever-present God in these few verses, these six verses. And they're glorious. And what I'd like to do today, as I said, is I want us to look at these, I want us to examine these, and then I want to show you how that applies to our lives. And to do this, I want, to, I want us to see the awareness of God's omnipresent nature, how David makes us aware of that. The second thing is how David, and, and by the way, that's verse number seven. Verse number seven is the awareness of God's omnipresent nature. Verse number eight, David focusing, uh, focuses on the acknowledgement of God's omnipresent nature. That's verse eight and nine. And then verse 10 through 12 David talks about the application of God's omnipresent nature. So it's the awareness, verse 7, the acknowledgement, verse 8 and 9, and then, of course, verse 10 through 12 is the application. Let's begin with the awareness of God's omnipresent nature. Look at verse number 7 in your Bible. David says this, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, These questions are somewhat interesting and weird to me because David is asking this question as if he wants to flee from the presence of God. David is asking these questions as if he desires to, but we know that's not David. David doesn't, you know, it's not like David doesn't want to be in the presence of God. Of course he does. So the question is, why is David making these statements? But what David is doing here is David is making us aware of the utter futility of escaping the presence of God. David is saying it can't happen. We cannot escape the presence of God. Now some have tried. Some indeed have tried. And this is powerfully illustrated by the beginning of Francis Thomas's poem, The Hound of Heaven. If you've not read that or, or ever gone through that, I highly recommend it. Here's what Francis Thompson says at the beginning of his poem, The Hound of Heaven. He says this, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways. Of my own mind and the midst, and the midst of tears, I hid from him. 
and under running laughter. Upvisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from the, from the strong feet and followed, followed after. What is Thompson doing here? He's, he's outlining his attempts to flee from the presence of God. He's saying, look, I pursued pleasure. I engrossed myself in intellectual pursuits. He calls these, these labyrinth ways. He pursued laughter. He pursued and, and became consumed by his own pain and sorrow. He is the definition of the modern man who tries to run away from God by pursuing everything else but God. That's what Thompson is saying here. And this is what David is trying to remind you and I, that can we actually do this? Is it possible for us to escape the, gla- the gaze of God? And David is saying absolutely not. Now, why is this the case? Again, notice verse number 7, what David is doing. He says, first of all, we can escape the gaze of God because God is a spirit, right? And as a spirit, God can be everywhere. That's, that's the, the sort of the different patterns of the different stanzas in verse number 7. Notice how they tie together. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? David is saying, because God is spirit, his presence is always with us. Now, why is this important? Why is this important for us to understand? Well, David is connecting God's nature with the omni, with God attributes, which is the omnipresence of God. That's why he said spirit, both spirit and nature. And this is what David and Thompson is trying to tell us. They're trying to tell us that our lives are lived in the presence of God under every under the watchful eye of the Lord. And so by implication, if our, if our whole being is lived before the presence of God, think about how that changes everything. If we are aware of God's presence, think about how that changes the way we live. Now, there's so many different applications of this, but, but the, the one that automatically jumps out, me, out at me is this whole concept of temptation, Imagine, if you will, if you consciously are aware before the presence that you are before the presence of God. Think about how that would change your life and the things that you would do. Um, I, I remember as a little kid, uh, I remember the first time and really the only time I ever consciously stole, like actually premeditated stole. Now, some of you are looking at me, Pastor Dennis, you told us that you lied, you cheated on a test, now you're telling us that you stole something. What kind of pastor did we hire, right? We we hired a lying, cheating, stealing pastor. Well, well, yeah, you did, right? Um, You you know, you did. It's too late now. You can't, like, throw me back in the water. Um, I'm I'm yours, right? But but let me say this. I'm, you know, some people, my, my wife even told me about this. She's like, man, you're really open about your sin. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Because I'm not ashamed of it, right? Like, I'm a sinner. I I know that. But I'm also a sinner saved by grace. And the reality is, I, I, I think the reason why I feel comfortable being open about my sin is not to draw attention to who I am, but to draw attention that if God can save someone like me, if he could redeem someone like me and say, hey, stand in the pulpit and tell people about me, then that could be true of all of us. 
And that could be true of our children and our friends and the people that we know, right? So don't, don't be ashamed of the sin of your past because the, sin of the, sh- the shame of the sin of your past is a testimony to the goodness of the Lord in the now, right? That's a little sidebar. I'm not going to charge you for that. Let me get back to my point here about the presence of God, right? And how the presence of God keeps us from temptation. Uh, the first time I sinned, uh, I remember stealing, like actually consciously stealing. My, uh, we had this thing called Fun Day. It was like a fun day, and you get to, you know, I went to school that wore uniforms, and so on a fun day, you get to sort of dress in whatever clothes you want, right? And my mother bought me, like, new clothes, new shoes, and she gave me some money, and she sent me off to school. And I remember she was walking me uh, to the bus stop, and I told her, um, I I said, I need to go back because I forgot something, which was a complete lie. I didn't forget anything. I just wanted more money, right? I wanted more money so I could go and have fun with my friends and do more things. So I go back inside, and, and I left my mother at the bus stop, and I ran back to our house, and I ran in. And my mother had this rainy day jar where she would put money in it. And I remember I ran and, and picked up this rainy day jar, and I began to take money out of it and, and count, you know, count the money out. And, and as I was standing there trying to like, get the money out, I, I, there was this feeling that came over me. You know this feeling, right? You all know what I'm talking about. This feeling like someone is staring at you, Right? Michael Jackson, I think, talked about it. I got this feeling like something, someone's watching me. You remember that? Uh, well, I, I, I got that feeling like somebody was watching me, like somebody was there. They were right there. And I turned around, and guess who it was? It's my mother. And, and to this day, the story is so fresh to me. I, I think I was about eight or nine at this time. The story is so fresh to me because I remember the look on her face. It, if, if I could describe the look, it was equal parts disappointment, equal parts shame, equal parts anger and frustration. This is a lot of parts, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to like parse this out. Um, and, and, but, but at the same time, equal parts love, right? And in her presence, she was watching me do something that, that I would never do boldly in her presence. I would never sin like that boldly in her presence if I was aware of her presence. But, but I was perfectly willing to sin boldly when she wasn't there. And what David is saying here is that when, when you and I are aware of the presence of God, when, when we're aware that God is here, that changes our behavior. That, that changes how we respond when we were tempted. And by the way, didn't David have um, some experience with this? Do you think that if David was aware of the presence of God, he would have sinned the way he did with Bathsheba? And do you think that David, if he was aware of the presence of God, would have uh, did what he, um, to Uriah, what he ended up doing? Of course not. So David isn't giving us something that's just theoretical, right? David isn't saying, like, hey, you know, the Spirit of God, it's it's completely different from man. And and he isn't making a state of like a statement of physics here. He's he's using something of God's nature and reminding us and telling us 
that in, if we are aware of the presence of God, this changes the way we behave. It changes the things that we do. That, that this feeling is actually real. David knows that when you are not aware, when you and I are not aware of the presence of God, there is no sin, there is no temptation that we will not fall in. And that's a powerful truth that David is lifting up. He's telling all of us that we ought to live as if we are constantly in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, that changes everything. That changes our behavior. Notice with me not only the awareness of God's presence, but the acknowledgement of God's presence. Look at verse number 8 and 9. David says this, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. David is saying all of that. God, you are there. You are present there. Now, what's David saying here? David is saying this. I'm not just aware of God's presence, but David is saying I also acknowledge God's presence. And and the fact that he's saying, God, I acknowledge your presence in heaven. I acknowledge your presence in Sheol. I acknowledge your presence in, in the sky, as it were. He talks about the wings of the morning. And he also acknowledges God's presence in the depths of the sea. What does all of these mean? What do these extremities mean? David is saying, God, I acknowledge your presence everywhere I go. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Dennis, what's the difference between being aware of God's presence and acknowledging God's presence? Well, an awareness of God's presence means you feel or sense that God is there. Right? That's what David says in verse number 7. He has this feeling, this awareness that God is there. But to acknowledge God's presence is to draw attention and proclaim that God is present with us. And that's what David is saying here. David is saying, God, wherever I go, I acknowledge that you are here. Whether it's worship or whether it's at home, whether it's in the school, whether I'm playing disc golf, which I love to play disc golf, by the way. That's why I mentioned that. I kind of threw that in there. Or, or whether it's playing basketball, whatever it is you do, wherever it is you go, David is saying that we ought to acknowledge the presence of God. Now, it is the case that we don't always acknowledge the presence of God in our life. That that, that concept is foreign to us. You know, I had a friend open up to me one time, and he said, Dennis, it's so hard to pray and to worship God because I feel like like God is like my invisible friend, right? I, I can't discern him with my five senses. And so he's completely foreign to us. And I said to him, I said, yes, that is difficult. It's difficult to worship something that we can't perceive with our five senses, but, but one of the things that, transcend that transcends that reality is when you and I simply acknowledge his presence. One of the best examples I've found um, on this is by Rosemary Jensen in her book, um, Praying the Attributes of God. And listen, uh, in one of her prayers, listen to what she, what she says. She says this, Lord, forgive me when I think that I'm alone. You are always near wherever I am, but I forget that. You also care for all people and are with all your children in any place. I ignore that often also. 
thinking that I must be there to help others when you can manage their lives perfectly well. Forgive my arrogance. What's, what's Rosemary Jensen doing here? She's doing something that I think is so powerful. In, in, in a moment of just clarity, she's saying, Lord, I often don't acknowledge you in every area of my life. See, we're comfortable acknowledging God in church, right? Because this is where we think the presence of God is. But, but what about elsewhere? What about in our home? What about when we're disciplining our children? What about when we're in traffic and someone cuts us off? Or the car line? If you've ever been in the car line, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Do we acknowledge the Lord in our work? Do we acknowledge and discern the presence of the Lord in the midst of difficult and hard times? This is what David is doing here. He's saying, God, I acknowledge every aspect that where, wherever you are, I want to acknowledge you. Now, I, I, want you to, I want to point out something here because, you know, for me, I think this is the key when we talk about acknowledging God. Look at verse number eight. David makes a statement, and it's a bizarre statement. He says, where shall I go from you? Uh, sorry, verse number eight. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And then David says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The word Sheol there is hell. And when you read this, you, you might ask me, well, Pastor Dennis, does this mean that God is in hell? Right? Is that what David is saying? Well, in one sense, yes. If you think about it, God cannot be omnipresent if God isn't present in hell. Now, you might say, Pastor Dennis, if hell is defined as being separated from God, how is it that God is in hell? And I'll say you're asking me too many questions. You know, there's, you know I, have a, I have a pay rate, you know, that is. But, 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 but here, here's how I would answer this question, because this, this has puzzled me. This has always puzzled me. Every time I read Psalm 139, why, why is it that David makes this statement? It's not like David will ever end up in hell. Then why is he making this statement? Is this just for literary effect? No, it's not. Here's what David is saying. When the Bible speaks of hell as being separated from God, what the Bible is really saying is that hell is alienation from fellowship with God. We can never truly be separated from God. It's just that our spirit feels alienation from God. Think about when Jesus was on the cross, right? And he had two, two sinners in between him. One that, that trusted him and loved him, and the other one that reviled him. And he says to the one that trusted him and loved him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus could have turned to the other one and said, today you'll be with me in Sheol, in hell, because you've chosen to alienate yourself from the blessing of my presence. Now, I know that's a difficult concept for us to wrestle with, but it's no less true that from a spiritual standpoint, you and I are either acknowledging the presence of God and its beauty and its grace, or you and I are alienating ourselves from the Spirit of God and therefore living a life of hell. 
And I know that sometimes us as Christians, you can be a Christian in here today, and you can certainly feel separated from God. That's a reality. There are times in which the Bible says that God withdraws the light of his countenance from his people. In other words, within our Christian experience, we are separated from God. We feel alienated from God. We feel estranged from the presence of God. And when this happens, what do we do? What do you do when you feel like God isn't there and you're a believer and you want to feel his presence? You want to feel the light of his countenance. What do you do in those moments when God seems so distant? Well, the word of God tells us, and I want to give you five things that we can do. First of all, when you feel that God's presence is distanced from you and not near you, the first thing that God calls us to do is trust that God hasn't left you. Remember, if he's omnipresent, he can never leave you. He's always there. Even though you don't feel like his presence is there, he is there and you can trust it. The second thing is this. Know that you are still loved by Christ and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't ever forget that, that because God is omnipresent, he will always bring those in your presence to love you. Notice the third thing that the word of God tells us, continue serving the Lord as a Christian. I know there are times when you don't feel God's presence, you don't feel him working and moving, but you still need to serve the Lord. Pastors struggle with this all the time. They come in the pulpit, and not every week a pastor comes in the pulpit, he feels like preaching, right? Much less come to church. Why? Because there are times in which God's The light of God's countenance is far from us. And I know it's sometimes it's far from you. But we must continue to serve the Lord and work through that. Notice the fourth thing. Know that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Yesterday we had a men's um, Bible study. It started at 7 and we talked about the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Know that even when you don't feel and when you don't feel aware or acknowledge God's presence, that the Holy Spirit is still working in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. And notice the fifth thing. Trust that God will bring back the joy of his salvation. We have to trust in that as a people, that even when we feel like God is far away, when our soul feels like it's in Sheol, that God will bring us back into the grace of his presence. Notice quickly, and finally, the application of God's presence. Notice with me in verse 10 through 12. David makes us aware of God's presence, that we need to acknowledge God's presence, and finally, the application of that. Verse number number 10, David says this, even there, right, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light. What's David saying here? What's the application here? David is saying this, God's loving presence is always with me. He's saying, God, your loving presence is always leading me. Your loving presence is always holding me. And even in those times where I experience this darkness, where I myself go into darkness to sin, you are there providing the light that I need. 
David recognizes that God's presence applies to his life in a profound way in the here and now, that God is always upholding him by his mighty power. And so it is with us today that we as God's people need to recognize that Christ's presence here today has tremendous blessings from the believer. Notice in Matthew 28, Christ, right before he ascended, says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Think about how that declaration of his presence with us provides so much for God's people today. Notice that in Christ's presence, he brings deliverance from sin because the word of God says where the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty, there's freedom from sin. And then also in Christ's presence, the Bible says there's hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ says that he is with you always, we are guaranteed heaven. Notice also that because Christ is present with us, we are no longer slaves to sin. That we don't have to pursue the desires of the flesh because Christ is with us. He will never give us too much that we are not able to bear. Notice also that because Christ is with us, we can actually carry out the mission of the church. That we can go and love our neighbors well. That we could proclaim Christ in our neighborhoods and in our work and wherever we go. Notice also that because Christ is present in our worship, there is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. Notice that when Christ is present with us, even in our sorrow and grief, the Bible tells us that the Lord is near unto a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Notice also that those times when we feel lonely, the Word of God says that He is Emmanuel. He is always with us. If you take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the predominant overriding theme is that the ever-present, omnipresent God desires to be with you and you with Him. Beloved, this is a wonderful, glorious truth that we have a God that is ever-present. We have a Christ that dwells with us. And because of that, God's people are secured. God's people are kept. This is indeed the word of the Lord and the glory of his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We do, that you are present. And Lord, because you're present, we need to be aware of that. We need to acknowledge that. And we need to remind ourselves that that applies to us. Oh, Lord, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, because we don't come to acknowledge your presence in prayer. Help us as your people to not only be aware of that and to acknowledge that, but apply that to our lives on a regular basis. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace in reminding us that you are present everywhere. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand.